St. Dominic's Catholic Church in San Francisco presents a homily by Father Vincent Kelber on June 23, 2019, the Solemnity of the Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ. Today's Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 9, verses 11b to 17, proclaimed by Deacon Charles McNeil. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus spoke to the crowds about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed to be cured. As the day was drawing to a close, the twelve approached him and said, Dismiss the crowd so that they can go to the surrounding villages and farms and find lodging and provisions, for we are in a deserted place. And Jesus said to them, Give them some food yourselves. They replied, Five loaves and two fish are all we have, unless we ourselves go and buy food for all these people. Now the men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50. They did so and made them all sit down. Then taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he said the blessing over them, broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. And when the leftover fragments were picked up, they filled twelve wicker baskets the Gospel of the Lord. Twenty years ago, your pastor, Father Michael, and I were in the novitiate together. We, with our other classmates, came to visit St. Dominic's because the novitiate was not yet housed at St. Dominic's, but elsewhere. So we were on a visit, and we were here for Vespers, evening prayer, right here in the choir stalls. And evening prayer, of course, some of you might be familiar with all of our prayers, the liturgy of the hours, the divine office, we chant, and sing the psalms, and hear readings. We gather a few times a day to pray in this manner. And the prior came in, and he then knocked on his choir stall, which is always a sign something's going to happen in religious life, or something should stop. Start or stop, one or the other. In this case, it meant to stand up and start prayer, but 
here at St. Dominic's, they didn't stand up. They knelt down. And it was my first but not last encounter with a prayer written by St. Thomas Aquinas. This is all of our parts of the Mass today. A sacred banquet in which Christ becomes our food. The memory of his passion is celebrated. The soul is filled with grace. And the pledge of future glory is given to us. I was fascinated by this prayer. And I thought, what a wonderful uh, custom. What a wonderful thing. I didn't know it was done every day. But in fact, it is done every day here at St. Dominic's evening prayer at Vespers. And it comes, and where does it come from? It's an antiphon sung at, on this feast day, on the Feast of Corpus Christi, at the evening prayer in that evening. It's, it, it's part of the divine office itself. But this community and many Dominican communities I came to discover take this prayer and say it before the divine office every day of the year, before every time we gather for evening prayer. And this great articulation of the reality that we celebrate today, the body and blood of Christ, and a thanksgiving that God giving us this great gift. But prayers are not said accidentally, especially when we're asked to pray them again and again. We pray this prayer daily. The Mass prayer, so many of them are the same. There's a few variable parts, but the rest we come to know by heart. The greatest prayer, said all the time, is of course the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. When the disciples ask the Lord, teach us to pray, he teaches them a prayer that they can say. But he also gives them a prayer in that same Our Father that forms a way for them to live out his teaching. Good prayers do this. They praise God, they teach us, and they instruct us how to live. So it's the same with this prayer, this prayer of the sacred banquet. And today, the liturgy is lengthy with our addition of the procession at the end, so simply today I'd like to go through just the lines of that prayer and make a few comments. O sacred banquet, in which Christ becomes our food, this heavenly food is food like no other. And we know that belief in the Eucharist as the body and blood of Jesus Christ is paramount to being a Catholic Christian. The reception of the Eucharist sustains us, accomplish, accomplishes for us in the soul what regular food does for the body. And yes, in a sense, it is regular food. The accidents, we say, of bread and wine remain. It nourishes us just a little. But it's a very small meal, hardly a meal at all. The banquet is in the soul. The banquet is the gift of God, the spiritual nourishment that sustains us, that increases God's presence with us, increases grace within us, restores us, heals us, brings us delight. And though it satisfies our hunger, it also then draws us and makes us more hungry for the divine, more willing and desiring to seek God. Again, it's an unusual food. It's the one food that when consuming it, something different happens in us. When we consume food, that food becomes a part of us. But when we consume the Eucharist, 
we eat of the body and blood of Christ, we gradually are immersed in that body of Christ. That same body of Christ. We become one with Christ. The body of Christ in the Eucharist. The Lord Jesus Christ. The body of Christ the church. The memory of his passion is celebrated is the next line. In an Eastern Catholic church, or an Orthodox church, you'll find an interesting architectural feature that we don't have in our churches. And that's a, an, and if you've been to one, you know what I'm talking about. The iconostasis, the icon screen. There's a wall with beautiful icons and doors in it that separate the nave from the sanctuary. In the West, we don't like things to be separate. We always want to unite things. And it's not to separate, really. It's to acquire the distinction. It's a sign that we are called from earth, which the nave symbolizes, to heaven, which the sanctuary symbolizes. We actually had these in the West, though they're probably simple walls and screens and curtains more than they were covered with icons. In fact, we have remnants here in this church of two. We have the rude beam, rude meaning cross. That would have been the top of such a screen and the bottom being the rail. These are remnants of a thousand years ago when we had such, such dividers and that veil that would symbolize our entry into the divine. Now, I mention this because at the main door where the priests and deacons enter, just like the gate here, is an icon. And the icon is of the Last Supper. That makes sense. You see the priest celebrating the divine liturgy, the mass, through the door. And you see then the icon above. But these aren't here to be just complimentary. It's here to tell us a story. Much like a prayer, it's there for a reason. It's here for a deep reason. And one of the reasons is what, a, what we do in the Eucharist. The memory of his passion is celebrated. We remember the Lord asks us, as we heard in 1 Corinthians and in the Gospels well, other Gospels, do this in memory of me. We remember Christ. We remember his, the sacred mysteries. We remember these historic events. We remember what Christ does for us. And we give thanks. It's particularly also Jewish and a Christian theology and way of prayer. We give thanks. We remember the good things God has done for us. But St. Paul takes it deeper in the reflection on do this in memory of me. He speaks about what's called an anamesis, and that's the sacred remembering. And we do this each time in the Mass. You listen for it in any of the versions of the Eucharistic prayer. It will speak of how we remember or commemorate the passion, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ. All of the mysteries we've just celebrated in this Easter cycle and in these great feasts these last few weeks. We remember them. But it's a sacred remembering. It's a special remembering. We don't just recall something that happened. Rather, St. Paul would teach us that we recall and remember in such a special way through the power of the Holy Spirit that we transverse time and space and are at the events. We might envy the apostles for seeing the Lord, but we cannot envy the apostles for the experience of the Lord. It just mediated through us and to us in a different way. We are no less present sacramentally than they were at the Last Supper. We are at the Supper now. We're at the cross. We're at the resurrection. We're at the tomb. When we remember 
and are present to all of these things. And we remember not just then in a passive way, but in a way that brings then an action on our soul to participate in, as we always say, the Paschal Mysteries. The soul is filled with grace, is the next line. The effect in the soul of receiving the Eucharist is great. We often think about sign and symbol in what we do, and that's good. What the bread and wine symbolizes, it kind of spoke of that. How when it becomes the body and blood of Christ, it nourishes spiritually. Sacraments are signs and symbols signifying a reality. Yes, a reality of Christ. Here, of Christ with Christ as the sacrament. We do much to prepare, all of us have. The, the music that we put together, the readings, the liturgy, the preparation, uh, the, the you coming here and your prayer and your preparation, we do a lot. But it's small. It's just a bit that we give to God and his reaching down to us. For it's here that, that the Lord reaches out to us. And if we are ready to receive him at a proper disposition, there's a friendship that forms with God. For in the Gospel of John, he says, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. What a wonderful thing. We don't think on these things deeply enough sometimes. This is a profound statement. This is the way he speaks of his father. In the same Gospel of John, he'll say, the Father and I are one. And now he's saying, I want to be one with you. I want to abide in you. I want to live in you. I want to dwell within you. I want to make you my house, my temple, my sacred tabernacle. Holy communion, then, is a present reality for us. It's doing something in us now, increasing our union with Christ, the body of Christ himself. The body of Christ is church. It renews in us the gifts we've received in baptism and confirmation. St. Paul has a wonderful line in the letter to Timothy. You received a spark of the Holy Spirit in baptism and confirmation, planted into a flame. Our devotion on our reception of the Eucharist do this. It's the nourishment, it's the food, it's the wood that gives then fuel that the fire of the Holy Spirit might, might grow and, and, and burn within us. It strengthens us in that fire of charity, divine charity that can only come from God, that friendship, that union with God. And, though it's sometimes difficult, that charity with one another, a true love of our neighbors and desiring of their good. So it's truly through the Eucharist then that, that sanctifying grace is increased in our soul. As Roy has loved, as another Dominican St. Catherine would teach, then how... She wouldn't say sanctifying grace. She would say the state of charity, the state of divine love, meaning that friendship of God that we're in when we're in union and seeking him, and, he, and we let him seek us. Finally, a pledge of future glory is given to us, is the last line of the prayer. I mentioned that icon in Byzantine and Orthodox churches what I was told is that it's there on the door, really the symbol of the icon, is that it's because the Eucharist is the doorway to eternal life. We see this in the gospel. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you'll have no life within you, the Lord says. It's that drawing us then to eternal life. The Catechism, too, speaks of this, where it says there's no sure 
pledge or clear sign or of the great hope that we have for a new heavens and a new earth than in the Eucharist. Every time the mystery of the Eucharist, the sacred mass, is celebrated, the work of our redemption is carried on, and we break of the one bread, the body of Christ, that is the medicine of immortality, the antidote for death, and the food that makes us live forever in Jesus Christ. So, 20 years later, I'm the prior, and I'm the superior, I'm the one who knocks. And I have the great privilege of leading my brothers in this prayer. Again, where we state what we believe, we give thanks to God. But I've come to value and appreciate this prayer each day, to see how important it is to commemorate this feast day every day of our Dominican life. We commemorate Christ in our midst, Christ who has fulfilled his promise for us, who when he ascended into heaven said, I will not leave you orphans, but I will be with you always till the end of the age. And he continues to be with us, drawing us into these mysteries, into these paschal mysteries by the giving of his own body and blood as food, as sacred food for us to eat. It reminds us each day, each time that we pray that prayer, each time we come to Mass, how Christ is the center of our life, how we draw strength from him. And the whole week or a whole day revolves around the action happening here. And as we receive the body and blood of Christ, we gradually become more like that sacred banquet we eat, more like Christ, that we too become that icon of his divine love. On this great feast day, then we give thanks to God, not just today, but remember that we must give thanks every day for this gift of himself in our midst through this holy sacrament this sacred banquet.